We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome to another Is For Podcast. I am your... Uh, your host for this evening, along with my other two hosts, but I am your uh, Dilophosaurus Danger. And say hi, Tyrannosaurus Sarge. <laughs> Howdy, everyone. And um, the uh, the Velosa Monster. <laughs> so it is. It's it's no secret. I don't know why I would introduce us all with uh, ridiculously stupid dinosaur names, unless we are going to discuss Jurassic Park. Welcome, Welcome to Jurassic Park. To Jurassic Park. Yes. <laughs> oh, all right. Fellas, this was a great pivotal movie. I wouldn't say pivotal, sorry. <laughs> For me, it was, just, it was just an awesome, awesome movie. I've loved this movie my entire life, and I will continue to love this one. Not all the sequels, <laughs> but we'll get to that. But First, let's start off with Sarge. I'm not going to call you Tyrannosaurus. Yes. I'm not going to call you Tyrannosaurus Sarge or Tyrannosaurus Sarge. I don't. I don't remember what I said before. But Tyrannosaurge. Yeah, Tyrannosaurge. <laughs> yeah. So, Sarge, what is your feeling about Jurassic Park? It was one of those movies I watched as a kid. I forget, I forget how old I was. I watched the movie, and it's like the opening sequence. Of the movie with the crate being transported, and then of course the iconic line of shoot right? Her, shoot her. It was like it was like it set the tone for the movie. I think I was hooked as a kid, loving dinosaurs anyways, to see how they did that movie. And as an adult, I still love that movie. Velosa Monster? I, I kinda like Velosa Monster. It's just fun. I do too. Yeah, but I'm not too. gonna stick to it. So Monster? It's fair. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember seeing Jurassic Park. I've probably seen it ten times, and it is such a classic monster movie. Like it's Steven Spielberg, so it has that charm. But it, at its heart, is just a big fun monster movie, and I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's actually. He said it was supposed to be a sequel to Jaws on land. Yeah, makes sense. I'm not going to see that. I mean, I don't necessarily would consider it to be a monster-esque movie because while it did have big dinosaurs in it, you know, we know dinosaurs are a thing, so really, is, is dinosaurs really a monster? Which I'm sure if I was face-to-face with Tyrannosaurus Rex in real life, I'd say it was a monster. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, just, it was one of those movies that, like, put into perspective, should we do something if we could do it? Yes. Plus, talking about the Jaws connection, I think it's funny that Steven Spielberg almost created the summer blockbuster with Jaws, and then Jurassic Park was, I'm not going to say the last summer blockbuster, but it was one of the last, like, really just monumental, like, everyone in the world had to go see this blockbuster film. So, my theory on why... That is, and it, and I don't think that Jurassic Park was the last blockbuster, which Jaws is actually credited as being the first actual blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think it was the last. I just think it was 
something that captured something that doesn't happen all the time and for good reason. So, you know, I, Star Wars and, you know, there's been some along the way, but it's when something is done on screen that is so monumental and nobody has ever seen before, it makes everybody go, holy shit, this is awesome. You know, and quite frankly, I think that we're kind of robbing ourselves of that these days because we can't really do anything on screen that really throws us for a loop and surprises us. You know, it's all just kind of like, oh, that's cool. And that and that was one of the reasons that I think Jurassic Park, the, the first one, still holds up today is because of the way they handled the special effects. Like you said, at that point in time, people hadn't seen dinosaurs like that on the big screen that looked that realistic. But that was because they had this expert way of combining practical effects with the beginning of CG, whereas now, you know, I've, I haven't seen the, the most recent Jurassic World movie, but I've either. seen the other two. And I, I mean, I'm sure there is a little bit of practical effects thrown in there, but it's got to be 90% digital. I mean, just because that's the way the world is these days. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, we'll get into the, uh, the effects of it because... It- I think it's almost impossible to talk about this movie and what it is, what it became and what it was to the world without talking about the effects of it. Absolutely. Yeah. When you actually think about the effects for people like us, but like, well, at least for you and me danger, I don't know about, I don't, I don't know about a uh, monster over there, but for us, we grew up with dinosaurs in our lives. Like, like normal, normal teenage young, young boys and the early teen boys, like dinosaurs, and then all of a sudden, it's we have this movie, dinosaurs on screen. Let's go see this. We weren't thinking about special effects and stuff long until after. I think I started looking at like the Jurassic Park special effects. I was like in my twenties. Yeah, it was. I, I don't know when exactly I started looking at them. I know it wasn't that long after, but it wasn't until I started to see what older films were able to do you know, as far as they were able to take it. And then, you know, something like Jurassic Park comes around and it completely changes the entire game. And so you're absolutely right, Monster. It was a blend of special and practical effects that truly made it what it was. The point I'm I'm trying to make is when I was, you know, nine or 10, the first time I saw it, I wasn't thinking about oh my God, how did they do that? These effects are incredible. I was thinking, oh my God, it looks like a real dinosaur. And I think that's what makes it so good right. is it, it it just feels natural. It feels like it's really there. So because all, all of all of the eight or nine years, maybe 10 years of Monster's life, all the dinosaurs he saw, that looks just like a real dinosaur. No, up until that <laughs> point, the only dinosaurs I'd ever seen were like Ray Harryhausen. Stop motion claymation kind of stuff, or you know the real simple animatronics at like the Natural Science Center or something. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's jump into it. We know that Jurassic Park was directed by Steven Spielberg. It was a screenplay written by Michael Crichton, also based on a book of Michael Crichton. Kind of, we'll get to that. And uh, also, David Coop was a screenwriter on it. The music. John Williams, as John Williams did most of the of Spielberg's at that time. It was released June 11th, 1993 in the U.S. In addition to those Ooh. people, he uh, brought in Stan Winston to create the animatronic dinosaurs and Phil Tippett, who was credited as 
the dinosaur supervisor. Do you guys remember the, uh, the <laughs> meme that was going around the internet for a long time? It was like, damn it, Phil, you had one job. And he actually I created the go motion in dinosaurs for the long shots. And so it was when Stan Winston started doing his stuff and started showing Steven Spielberg what could really be done. Phil Tippett was like, shit, I'm out. I don't have a job anymore, which, you know, I, I can't blame Phil for feeling that way. And the entire team felt that way. Do you know the quote that Phil Tippett said? Uh, it, it was later said by by Jeff Goldblum in the movie about your yes. are extinct, and that's where the 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 line in the movie came from. That and yeah, Spielberg said or some about um, said to Phil Tippett, "You're going to be out of a job," and he said, "Don't you mean extinct?" Yeah, and they thought that was just the funniest thing. So yeah, they they stuck it in the movie. Yep, I mean it. You know, it, it made sense for it's it. It's a good so, line. It's yeah, a good line. It is. So all right, let's talk about the the lead up into the movie. So Steven Spielberg and Michael Crichton uh, were actually doing a tour together. Spielberg was given Crichton a tour of universal studios leading up to the production of the Andromeda strain, which was one of his stories. And within that, he told him about this, this idea that he had for this, this book and Steven Spielberg loved it so much that he was like, I want to do this movie. So before Crichton's book was, was written or published four studios jumped on putting in bids for the movie. Now I would like to see two of these. So Warner brothers was pitching it for Tim Burton. Would love to see a Tim Burton Jurassic park. Columbia pictures was shooting for Richard Donner and 20th century Fox was shooting for Joe Dante. I don't really care about either one of those. I mean, I feel like they make pretty straightforward movies. So <laughs> monster. Joe Dante's would have been a lot of fun because Gremlins and yeah, you know, yeah. He, but yeah, a, really a Tim Burton Jurassic Park. Uh, I I think we get an idea from Congo. Like I think we know what Tim Burton would do with prehistoric animals, and let's just not. Did he do there. Congo? Yeah, the movie with Amy the gorilla, the sign language, whichever one has Bruce Campbell in it. I don't remember him doing that one. Okay. But Hold on, I'll double check. Yeah. You might want to double check that because I was like, uh, I was pretty sure he did. But the other person that I would like to see, so James Cameron has stated that he wanted to make this movie, but the rights were bought a few hours before he could put it in his bid. And then Ooh. James Cameron realized that Steven Spielberg was the better choice to direct as his version would have been much more violent. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on real quick. Let me retract my previous statement. I was thinking of the 2001 version of Planet of the Apes. Ah, yes. Apologies. So James Cameron also said in an interview that he would have done the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Grant, Bill Paxton (laughs) as Malcolm, and Charleston Heston as Hammond. What? Yeah. Look, I love Bill Paxton. I would have loved to have seen him in in some kind of Jurassic Park situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So Universal bought the rights for $1.5 million before its publication there in 1990. After completing Hook, Spielberg wanted to film Schindler's List, but Sid Scheinberg gave the green light to Schindler's List on the condition that he make Jurassic Park first. He said later by choosing a creature-driven thriller, he wanted to try to make it as a good sequel to Jaws on Land, like I was saying before. 
Okay. And then Crichton was hired, um, given an additional $500,000 to write the screenplay uh, to adapt his novel. And Coop wrote the final draft, uh, which he left out much of the novel's exposition and violence and made a bunch of changes to characters, which I'll actually hit on some of the changes to characters later. And then Crichton demanded a non-negotiable $1.5 million and a percentage of the gross. He made out. After... They paid $1.5 million for the rights to the movie. Could you imagine getting paid for your book? All the information's right there in the book. And then they're like, hey, you know what? Here's another half a million dollars. Can you kind of like just make it like a script for us, please? I mean, good Lord. I mean, that's so, incredible. So they filmed in California and Hawaii in 92. And then post-production... Lasted until May of 93, and it was supervised by Spielberg in Poland while he was filming Schindler's List. So he would go from filming Schindler's List all day, this like super dramatic picture. And then he would say that he had to take a, a solid hour of just like nothing happening meditation to get himself in the brain space to even go look at dinosaurs <laughs> on the screen. It's, it's one it's one scope to the other. I mean, that's a big Absolutely. leap. Absolutely. I want to talk about the book right quick. Crichton wrote the novel because of his concern for the rise of scientism and the exploration of biogenetics for profit. I mean, it's a simple idea, but he said his views on science and genetic engineering were largely expressed by Ian Malcolm in the movie, or Jeff Goldblum. Spielberg saw many parallels to himself and the character of John Hammond. So he cast a fellow filmmaker in the role um, who begins his, his tour of the park by showing a movie in which he also acts. Do you guys remember the name of the movie? I, I, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I could not find what movie they were showing at that part. And that was actually a genuine question. Do you know what movie it was? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, when they're in the little movie, th when they're in the little movie theater. Well, I know when they're in the little movie theater, they're they're watching uh, Mr. DNA. Yeah, right. that's um, all I can think of. Right, and I actually went back and tried to watch clips and catch where it happened, but I couldn't find where that happened where he was showing a movie outside of the little Mr. DNA. Yeah, I can't think of. I can't think of any. Yeah, huh. um, I I was drawing well, a blank on it. I couldn't find anything anywhere on the interwebs. Now, do you remember the original working title before he named it Jurassic Park? Um, I don't. My ex-wife's mother-in-law. No, no, it was it was <laughs> no, it was going to be called it was going to be called Billy and the Clonosaurus. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Any mm. anybody get that? Anybody get that joke? Mm. No? Simpsons reference. Mm. Principal Skinner. Okay, all right, moving on. Okay. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. There we have it. And so one of the ways that Spielberg actually showed that he identified with Hammond is that he dressed him in all white to the entire movie. And then Malcolm, he put in all black because he was doubting everything the whole time. So their, even their clothes showed dichotomy of who they were. Now, are you going to get into the differences between the book and the movie a little bit? I'm going to talk about some of the differences. Okay, specifically John Hammond's character. Um, I 
think I put that in the notes. I know I came across that okay. at one point. And if okay. I if I go through that section and I don't talk about it, I'm I'm looking to you. Basically, really quick, John Hammond, I think, is in, in the film is a lovable grandfather kind of figure that you get the impression that even though things don't really go perfect, obviously at the part, he has the best of intentions. Like he really is trying to create this magical place for kids in the book. He is a diabolical monster. He is absolutely unredeemable. He is, and has a gruesome ending in the book as well. You remember that part where I said, when I talk about it, just in case, I just wanted to, God, sorry for being excited. I, I mean, I appreciate the energy that you're bringing. I appreciate the excitement. Every episode that Danger happens to give, he's in charge of. Give me information. Monster is always there. Here's what you do. His thunder to jump in there and steal his thunder. He does it every time. Here's what you do. Cut this segment out. Paste it when you start talking about it later. It's fine. No, no, no. We're leaving this in here. And I'm going to actually do an episode on something that I know that you know so much about. And I'm going to just like barely take notes and just let you run with it. <laughs> no, just every time I interject, mute. Yeah. Mute. Actually, actually, even better is I'm going to do an episode that I know Monster is very knowledgeable in. And I'm just going to start just saying everything wrong, all the information wrong, just so I could watch his face turn red. And he runs his hand through his hair, and he pulls on his hair, and he fidgets. Yeah, see, I know. It'll be M is for mind control from season two. All over. Oh again. God! Oh, that one. Oh, that one hurt. That one physically hurt. All right, so let's talk about the cast, because I mean, this, in my opinion, is an almost perfectly cast movie. I I can't see anybody else in these roles, especially not Bill Paxton and Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so yeah. So all right. Spielberg actually delayed the beginning of filming by several weeks just to get the people that he wanted, which I think says a lot about, you know, he knew certain people were going to be good. So Sam Neill plays Alan Grant. William Hurt and Harrison Ford were also offered the role. And William Hurt actually turned it down without reading the, the script. And Harrison Ford turned it down because the money wasn't good enough. So... I, I I heard a very interesting analogy about the Harrison Ford thing. If Harrison Ford would have been cast in the Grant role, he would have played it like Indiana Jones, which would have been incorrect. Yeah. However, if Harrison Ford would have played it like Harrison Ford is in real life, yeah. it would have been great. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so have you have either one of you seen Sam Neill in anything else? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I, I know I've seen him in a couple other things. The one movie that jumps out to me is he was in the movie Wimbledon with Paul Bettany mm-hmm. and Kirsten Dunst. Okay. So he was also in one with a spaceship. And it was and he played a bad dude and it was good. Event Horizon. He was in Event, Event Horizon. Horizon. Was. That's what That's what I was getting ready to say. Event Horizon. God, that's a ooh, that's it just it just shows his acting chops from a from a fun loving dinosaur guy to a a stone cold killer. Which I mean, Sam, I think Sam Neill is one of the most acknowledged, talented actors that is so underutilized and underrated. All right. Uh, he waited for Sam Neill to finish filming Family Pictures, and Neill ended up having only a weekend off before finishing Family Pictures and starting Jurassic Park. 
And he was cast three to four weeks before filming began. And he said, it all happened real quick. I hadn't read the book, knew nothing about it, hadn't heard anything about it. And in a matter of weeks, I'm working with Spielberg. You know, it's a, he knew nothing about it going into it. I don't feel like he really prepared for the role at all. He had like a weekend to think about it. So he nailed that book. He nailed that role. I'm going to tell you. And then Laura Dern as Dr. Ellie Settler. So Robin Wright was offered the role and turned it down. Couldn't really find why. I found a couple things and none of them were enough for me to stick to as to why. Nicole Kidman, Heather Graham, Lisa Renna, Renee Zellweger, Kim mm. Raver, and Mariska Hargitay were all considered for the role. Now, I don't Nicole remember. Kidman is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Okay, but also... Gwyneth Paltrow, Helen Hunt, Julianne Moore, Terry Hatcher, and Elizabeth Hurley all auditioned Ooh, for the Terry role. Terry Hatcher. That's that's funny about Julianne Moore. That, because that's interesting. She played Sarah Harding in the sequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, what I didn't know until recently was I didn't realize the age discrepancy between Laura Dern and what's his face who played Grant Sam Neill. Yeah. Yeah, they were like almost twenty years apart, weren't they? Uh, yeah, they were a good bit. Yeah. It was enough to, you know, for him to be in, more paternal. Yeah, because in the book, I think they are. I think he's like her, the professor, and she's like one of his students. I'm not sure. Um, that wasn't a difference I came across. So Yeah, it's something like that. But then they made it a little bit more of a romantic thing in the, mm-hmm. in the film. And so Laura Dern was Spielberg's first choice for the role. He just, I guess, had to go through these other people through the, you know, hoopla of, you know, of auditioning different actresses and all. So anyway, and uh, Mr. Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm, actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. I loved him in the movie. So you shut your mouth, monster. He didn't say I'm saying that ahead of time. I'm saying it ahead of time. He just made a hand gesture like, ah, you're not right. I am. And no, no, no. Yeah, I just let me clarify something you just said, Danger. You said Jeff Goldblum played Ian Malcolm. No, Jeff Goldblum played what? Jeff Goldblum. Uh, okay. Because that's, that's the only person he ever plays. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Christian Slater and Kevin Costner. Ethan Hawke. And Ethan Hawke, yes. They are very good at playing themselves. But, but with that being I did, said... I would watch a movie where Ethan Hawke plays Christian Slater. I broke oh, your brain. The whole podcast just came to a screeching halt. <laughs> All right. Uh, but but I will say, Jeff Goldblum, I, I do find him... I, he's not one of my favorite actors, but I do find him like charming and yeah. interesting as yeah. Ian Malcolm. I, I think that's a... You're absolutely the way right. him and Jeff- Sam Neill go back and forth is is great. Jeff Goldblum absolutely does play Jeff Goldblum and you cast him if you want him in it. I think the only movie I've not seen him play himself in was The Fly, but I like him. I like him for what he is and who he is. So anyway, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to one of uh, Monster's favorite like top five movies of all time. When they're being chased by the, uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's laying in the back of the... Uh, the the, oh. the Ford <laughs> and he mm-hmm. says must go faster oh Roland Emmerich when he uh he loved the line so much he had him say it in Independence Day as he and Will Smith were escaping from the mothership oh that a list hack Roland Emmerich let's throw his name out there every chance we get right. oh, at least he's on a list I'm not even on a list uh, you're, maybe you're I'm like 
not do not fly list or something on somebody's list somewhere (laughs) could you imagine a jurassic park directed by roland emmerich like laser beams shooting out of a t-rex's eyes and oh my god there's a golden retriever that lives the whole time for no good reason oh so jeff goldblum says that even though his character was opposed to it he thinks a dinosaur safari park is a really cool idea Ah, i I can't i can't say it would be i i don't think i'd go after watching uh, as much jurassic park as i have i i know how it's gonna go bad all we need is a, is a Wayne Knight to show up, a Dennis nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish, I wish though, like y- you know, nobody uses ringtones anymore. Everybody just puts their phone on vibrate or silent or whatever. But if I still used a ringtone, I would get that Ian Malcolm laugh, where he's like, "Could you imagine someone's phone going off doing that?" <laughs> All right, so Jim Carrey was the only other person that auditioned for the role that was even considered past Jeff Goldblum. And I can't say that that would have not worked, honestly. I think Jim Carrey could have done it, but I like like Jeff Goldblum in the role. So, all right, Richard Attenborough as Dr. John Hammond. So Sean Connery was actually offered the role before Hammond, and it was all based off of his, uh, his role in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and he turned it down. Probably for the better. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. So one of the interesting things about putting Richard Attenborough in the movie is that Spielberg lost Best Picture and Best Director to him when E.T. lost to Gandhi. One of the things that actually, one of the other things that delayed him getting started was he allowed Attenborough to finish post-production on Chaplin, the, oh, oh, hell, what is it? The Iron Man, what's his face? Um. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. And so you let him finish that before committing to the movie. And then this was actually, and I went and looked this up because for a guy doing this, he did a pretty damn good job. He hadn't acted since 1979. You know, wow. It took that long of a break. He just went to directing, writing, and producing. Yeah, I thought that was pretty damn cool. And Attenborough actually only took the job when he learned that Spielberg was directing it because he was like, nobody else is going to be able to direct this this picture so and then not even tim burton nope not tim burton so uh bob peck as robert muldoon muldoon the lawyer um yeah i got nothing else about him so all right and then (laughs) uh tim murphy joe joseph mazzello he had screen tested for roland hook but was deemed too young and spielberg like went directly to to him to take this role when he found out that he was you know, getting this movie. So, and then Ariana Richards as Lex Murphy. And she said, I was calling to the casting office and they just wanted me to scream. <laughs> I heard, <laughs> I heard later on that Steven had watched a few girls on tape that day. And I was the only one who ended up waking his sleeping wife on the couch down the hall. And she came running through the hallway to see if the kids were all right. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when she screams and she's running and she has her arms out Heard like just all of that is just yes. so good. So good. Anna Chlumsky, the uh, girl from My Girl, and Christina Ricci also auditioned for the role. Uh, Spielberg wanted Judith Barcy. That was his first choice uh, for the for Lex. Uh, he previously worked with her on Lamb Before Time. He okay. used Littlefoot. Uh, he changed his mind when he learned that she had been murdered in 1988 by her father. She played Ducky. Ducky. Sorry. Ducky, you're right. 
That's the proof <sighs> that like registered. Like Jesus. Well, it was a tragedy. Like like the mom and dad, like she wasn't getting any more roles, so they had like an insurance policy out on her, and they like spent all of her money. And it's such it's such a tragedy that the first thing you had to do was correct danger because he got the character name wrong. Yes, because she was Ducky. She will always be Ducky. Yeah, on her tombstone it says, "Yep, yep, yep." Yeah, because she was a child when she was murdered by her father. That's the takeaway. <laughs> All right, moving on. So Sam Jackson as <laughs> Ray Arnold, and I'm not going to say much about him because uh, yeah. he's. He's great. I, yeah. Let, all right. Can can we all say the line together? Do you all want to say it together? Hold on to your butts. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. I, I, I don't have a cigarette in my mouth to make it work. We were going to say you got to put something in the corner of your mouth. Yeah. yeah. Wayne Knight <laughs> as Dennis Neardy, who Spielberg picked him because of his, his role in Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct. And then B.D. Wong as... Dr. Henry Wu, because of his billing, he has less than two minutes of screen time, but he thought he was going to get a lot more because of, you know, the book and what was, you know, the script and that, but then he was just cut out. And so he like <laughs> won a top build and he's given two minutes of screen time, but he's the only <laughs> member who came back, the only cast member that came back for Jurassic World and then and the follow-up, I think he and Jeff Goldblum came back. And then in the more recent, they um the other two came back, Settler and Yeah, so so from what I understand, BD Wong is the only one to be in all six of the Jurassic Park films. I I'm not a hundred percent sure about Lost World and Jurassic Park Three, but I I know he's the only like like you said, he's the only original Jurassic Park actor to be in the Jurassic world. And, and then yeah, the other characters come later, but I think he's in lost world in Jurassic park three, but I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. He's in either one of those. So, and then this was something I found interesting in going through my research. Do you guys remember the guy that Dennis near dear Wayne Knight meets with on the beach and is given the Barbasol can? Oh, Lewis Dachshund is his name. Yeah. But Dachshund, we got dots in here. Right. Yeah. And he's got all like, that's Nobody his cares. one scene. That's his one scene. But in going through all my research and all the stuff, he kept popping up stuff about him kept showing up. I'm like, he must be a much bigger character than I remember, but he wasn't. So anyway, he gives nerdy a container of shaving cream. This guy's like the uh, barbersaw can uh, to mm -hmm. transport the embryos. So it's, it's Cameron <laughs> Thor is the actor's name. Thor said uh, when he was cast, it just said shaving cream can in the script. So I spent endless time at the drugstore to find the most photogenic. I went with Barbersol. I ended up, uh, which ended up in the movie. I was so broke. I took the can home and used it after the audition. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was great. All right. Jeez. So speak of B.D. Wong, did you know that he is in the uh, upcoming Gremlin series? I did not. I wonder what yeah. the role is. I have no idea. It's under wraps. Yeah. Uh, he plays a character named Han Wing. Oh, you found it? I just happened to be looking up B.D. Wong's IMDb page because <laughs> I was incorrect. He is not in Lost World or Jurassic Park 3, so I was way off. 
Uh, but then I did see that he is in uh, Gremlin's Secrets of the Mogwai, which is apparently something that's being made for no real good reason. So It's Gremlins. There's always a good reason for Gremlins. Uh, yeah. Give them little children. Don't don't ruin my childhood. I don't need to. I don't need to have Gremlins ruined. But you know, like like Sarge said before, if there's a thing that people will watch, they're gonna make it. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. Quick bit about production. I'm gonna go back to what I was saying before. So Spielberg was in the early stages of pre-production for the movie ER, but he was showing Crichton around for the Andromeda Strain, and then he you know, heard about Jurassic Park, a book idea that he had. And then he dropped everything he was doing. He dropped all of the projects to go and make it, which he went back and actually helped develop the TV show ER, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. So then Spielberg quotes, you know, a quote from him talking about what fascinated him about the whole idea was it, he felt like it was a really credible look at how dinosaurs might someday be brought back alongside, alongside modern humankind. I feel like that might be a little far-fetched, you know, going for blood or DNA and amber out of mosquitoes. But Well, if you remember back around this time, cloning was becoming like a, a hot-button topic. And, yeah, there was all these, like, ethical implications and stuff. It wasn't just resigned to science fiction. It was starting to become an actual, like, applicable procedure so to speak and i mean obviously you know cloning is not like nothing like in jurassic park but the concept of actually doing it was starting to become a a conversation right so i i I remember when right before this movie came out there was that whole debacle with um someone grew an ear on a rat yeah um And then, and then it was like stem cells and umbilical cord, blood and stuff like that. And that's and then, when it's like, where do we stop? Where do we stop? Blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, and what yeah. about the sheep? What was afterwards? Do- okay, I was going to say, I don't remember the year Dolly happened, but I know that that was probably. Dolly, I want to say Dolly was more the late 90s because. Okay, I, think, I think Dolly was 2000. I remember yeah, I know it was after it. Remember I had a book that my grandma got me about the year 2000 at the end of the year. And there was a whole thing in there about Dolly. So don't ask me where that book is now. So where's the book? I just said, don't ask me. 1996. Dolly. That's when yeah. Dolly was cloned. Oh. I, I was in late 90s. You did. I was wrong. Yeah. Was so wrong. cloned after Jurassic Park came out, but the cloning conversation had already started. Right. Right. So, do you guys want to know a really weird fact, though? What? Since we're talking about cloning, and this is my, my, my weird brain. Yeah, you have a weird brain, but are we going to talk about how your brain was cloned? I was going to say, 96. The first human hybrid clone? 1998. I didn't realize that we'd actually... Yes, even though it's been outlawed by almost every civilized culture out there... Somebody did it back in 1998. It's a hybrid, not a full human clone, but a human hybrid clone. Oh. Well, I wonder what the other part of it is. If it's a hybrid, it's got to be mixed with something else. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's been mixed with Dolly. It's a, oh, it's a human. That would be so it's weird. A, it's a, a peep. Peop, uh, 
I don't know. I'm trying to mix the two words, and it's not working. So they, they use frog DNA to sync up the DNA strands. I'm trying. I'm trying to pull it back for you, Sarge or Danger. You, you did good. You did good. So you stole my thunder, and you forget who's leading this conversation. That's good. <laughs> so, all right. Talk about the writing real quick. Crian said that because the book, in his words, fairly long. I don't remember how many pages it was, but that's a long ass book. I tried to read it several times and just couldn't couldn't get to it. So he said there's about ten to twenty percent of his novel content in the movie. He said scenes were dropped for budgetary and practical reasons, and the violence was toned down. And in the script rewrite. They actually ended up uh, merging Ian Malcolm and Alan Grant, and then the script was thrown out because they were like this. Yeah, story. good so, idea. Yeah. yeah, David Cup used Spielberg's idea of using a cartoon shown to the visitors to remove a lot of the exposition and extra stuff, which I think was a fantastic idea because oh yeah, I mean sure, there's so much science in science fiction. <laughs> Who would have thought? I I know. And just to explain that whole thing, not in a visually pleasing way, I think would have been a horrible idea. And, and to anybody that's listened to a few of these podcasts, know I I like to read and I, I read a lot of, you know, horror and science fiction and stuff. And Michael Crichton is one of those guys that is, you know, when they talk about science fiction and horror writers, his, his name always comes up. I've never read any of his books because from what I understand, it is very technical. It's yeah. very dense. And that's just not, I'm not smart enough. Like I don't, I need to see a giant dinosaur on screen. I don't know if I'm going to get the, the full effect by reading it. Yeah. I, uh, that was one of the reasons why I just had trouble reading it. Cause yeah, I bet. Yeah. So Cup tried to avoid excessive character detail and I quote, because whenever they started talking about the personal lives, you couldn't care less. So <laughs> he tried to flesh out the characters and make a more colorful cast, but without excessive character detail. That doesn't make sense to me, but that's what I found, and that's what we're going with. Well, I mean, when when you're talking about a visual medium like a film, obviously you want to care about the characters, so you have to create enough backstory and and relationship status between the characters but ultimately it's a movie about a dinosaur park you don't really want to care you i mean yeah all right well a lot of the relationship stuff goes second place well one of the things he actually added was moments like malcolm flirting with settler leading to grant's jealousy so it you know he he did (laughs) some some (laughs) elements there yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) you see Chaos theory is when you put this little drop of water in your hand. So you got all these beautiful lines here. <laughs> so, all right. Are you guys ready to actually start talking about the movie itself? I thought we were. <laughs> like, this, this all just been lead what up. What the hell have we been doing? This is all been lead up to the movie. For the past, like, 50 minutes, what have we been doing? Wow. So, we haven't yet started breaking down the plot of the movie. It's, a, it's about dinosaurs escaping <laughs> over human greed. So industrialist John Hammond <laughs> created a theme park <sighs> of clones. Why do you got to put labels on everything? <sighs> so Michael Crichton's original idea for John Hammond was a dark Disney. Dark Walt Disney. Ooh, yeah. Um, you so, can't get much darker than Walt Disney. Oh, you can. John Hammond. 
<laughs> Boss is about to spin up his drink. Oh, that was worth it. Right, that that clown-loving Nazi sympathizer. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After the dinosaur handler is killed by the Velociraptor, the park's investors demanded a safety certification. Enter lawyer Donald Gennaro. He also invites mathematician Ian Malcolm. And while Hammond invites paleontologists, Alan Grant, and phlebotomist, which I didn't know that's what she actually was in the movie, Ellie Sattler. So when they get there, the group is shocked to see a live Brachiosaurus. So this is actually the second dinosaur scene that they filmed with the actors. And it took a long time to film because Neil and Dern had to react to nothing. (laughs) There was (laughs) nothing for them to look at. And Spielberg kept changing the shots and making up new stuff on the fly because, I mean, this is the first big CGI thing. And he was like, let's really play with it and make fun stuff happen. Today, when you think about movies like Lord of the Rings and stuff, it's totally normal for there to not be anything there and you have to act to it. Have y'all seen the Ian McKellen thing when he's in Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring? He's like sitting in the, the Hobbit hole talking to Bilbo and everything is green. There's no actual set or anything. And he kind of has a breakdown because he's like a classically trained actor. And he's like, what am I doing? Because in the, in the Lord of the Rings, the movies, they had to build two different set houses. So it wasn't green screen for that. And I think it was, I think what you're referring to is this breakdown. Cause I think we said that on Hobbit, didn't we? I think so. When we did Hobbit, he had a breakdown on the Hobbit set because all the Hobbits were green screened and he was essentially acting by himself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's probably accurate, but I will say that is one of those scenes in Jurassic Park. I mean, there's, there's a dozen of them, but that first scene where they're in the Jeep and they see that Brachiosaurus, their reaction, I mean, I th- and I feel like when you first see that movie, you have the exact same reaction when yep. you see that dinosaur. You son of a bitch, you did it. Yeah. So, <laughs> which I'm going to start saying to you when you steal my thunder. Just, yeah, I wish and, you would. That you did it. And, and just aside with Monster this one time. The movies nowadays are so used to people not, or things not being in the movie, that now actors are not used to having to look at people. So, like, when they were doing, like, Avengers Endgames, they had uh, somebody wearing an outfit with Thanos' head on a stick. So they knew how to look eye level where Thanos was going to be. Well, I think in Transformers, it was just tennis balls on a big pole. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Eyeline for it. So, and 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 danger. Every time you do that, you know, quote that line. I'm going to respond back with. Ah. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to quote a line, and then you're going to give a shitty impression. Cool. Okay, Let's good. I'm ready. I'm ready. We're, you know, we were we were stepping up, and now we're going to take a couple steps back. It's I'm ready. ready. You know. It, it's 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 who we are. We we never it's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. So all right. At the park's visitor center, the group learns that cloning is accomplished by extracting dinosaur DNA from prehistoric mosquitoes preserved in amber, and DNA from what was used to fill the gaps? Frogs. Frogs. Yes. I, I was I was looking to you, monster. Fair. You, well, you pointed down to me on my screen. Well, so on my screen. He's, <laughs> 
Um, I, th- I just wanted to say the part where the guy's like, Dino DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I want that as my ringtone. You're welcome. Yeah. And to prevent breeding, all the dinosaurs were female. The group witnesses the hatching of a baby velociraptor. Does anybody want to guess what you dinosaur have velociraptors? Yeah. Does anybody want to guess what dinosaur was in the book hatching? T Rex. A triceratops. Little Triceratops came out, but they thought it'd be cool to have a raptor. I like the line where Ian Malcolm's like, how do you know they're all girls? You go out in the park and lift up all their skirts. <laughs> and then old BD Wong comes in and like, like kills his energy <laughs> by like giving an actual scientific answer. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. And so then after they see the hatching, they actually go visit the, uh, the adult raptors and the raptor enclosure you remember what happened at that point when they were visiting the raptor enclosure they're feeding it lunch is that the yeah, cow that's the cow that gets lowered down and then it gets <laughs> torn apart and then the the harness is broken or I, as a kid I always wondered how many harnesses do they go through like and just yeah like, and then, this can't be sustainable no uh, they spared no, no expense. expense right yeah, it's true <laughs> all right chili sea bass so during lunch Oh, God. Um, I love that line. So they debate the ethics of cloning and the creation of the park. Malcolm warns about the implications of genetic engineering and scoffs at the park's conceptualization, saying that will inevitably inevitably break down. Jeff Goldblum quoted his character when responding to a 2015 article about scientists at Harvard and Yale attempting to recreate dinosaurs your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. There's your line, Sarge. Yep. Actually, my favorite one is the blood-sucking lawyer. And then you package it, and you slap the label on it, and, you, and you're selling it. Now you're selling it. <laughs> All right. After lunch, when they go to start the tour, Hammond's grandchildren, Lex and Tim Murphy, joined for the tour. And while Hammond oversees from the control room, because, you know, bring your grandkids along, send them out into a park with a bunch of dinosaurs, and you hang out back there where it's safe at base. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, not not parent, but terrible grandparenting. So... I'd do it. I, I, I feel like you should also be in the car. But go on. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that this was actually really, really cool. Because how many times did you go to the zoo... And you're like, oh, my God, the lions. And then you get up there and it's like, there's no lions. Right. Or you can you can kind of see like the back half of one like behind a rock. And it's like you just see its tail flipping. flipping. Yeah. And I thought that was so neat that, uh, again, just Spielberg's like desire for realism to show that's exactly what it would be like. It would be like going to a zoo and it's hit or miss. You may or may not see every single dinosaur like you want to. Yeah, And I don't know if you remember, but they actually did the live feeding where they had the, the goat out there and then it just stayed mm-hmm. there and then like just got down and lay down because yeah. nothing yeah. was going on. And, and it, is it the lawyer who says the line about, do you have any dinosaurs at your dinosaur theme park? No, that was, that, that was Ian Malcolm. That was Ian Malcolm. Okay. The, the, the lawyer was the one that goes, haven't you ever heard of lamb chops, kid? Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. Was like, what are they doing? <laughs> so, so they encounter a sick tri- triceratops and it's cut short as the tropical storm approaches. 
So that's one big pile of shit. Yeah. But when the guests encounter the sick triceratops, it's not actually given a clear answer as to why it's sick. And in Crichton's original screenplay before it was, you know, reworked uh, by Coop and in the novel itself, it actually talked about how the triceratops and stegosauruses lacked teeth for grinding food and eating and chewing and whatnot. So they would swallow rocks to grind up the food and then regurgitate the rocks. So in the process, it's like a chicken, right? Exactly. And, wow. and so actually because of that, when they're hunting for new rocks, they would actually swallow the West Indian lilac berries, which were poisonous. And because it was regurgitating the berries with the rocks, that's why Ellie couldn't find anything in the Triceratur. Well, she did. She she was walking around with the berries, and she's like, it looks like it ate these. Right, but it wasn't an actual clear definition to why. Like, I mean, I picked up the fact that it was the berries. I got a shirt with zero context that says Triceratur. <laughs> Oh, it's incredible. I, I'll see what I can do for you. Triceratops. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So the Triceratops scene was a major operation. Most of the dinosaur shots were actually shot on sound stages, but Spielberg wanted this one to be shot on location in Hawaii. And the puppeteers were like, this is awesome. We don't really get to take our stuff out into the like on set very often or on location very often. And so they were like, you know, we're going to really do up this big ass puppet with dirt and dust and, you know, really make it look like it's part of it. So this was the first dinosaur that the actor saw, you know, in person. Cause you have to remember the, you know, brachiosauruses were all figments of their imagination. And so Stan Winston's team dug a hole underneath the puppet and eight puppeteers below operated it with cables and push rods. So the backside of the Triceratops had a door with three or four men inside of it, which made me think of the rhino scene from Ace Ventura. (laughs) Yeah. The only actor that was not impressed was uh, Joseph Mazzello or Tim because, and and he quotes, it's the first dinosaur I got to see up close and it didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) My, my first thought, uh, you said the rhino, I, I thought about Jabba the Hutt. And how they had to like have people inside yeah. that slug guy. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Jurassic Park is going to be a two-part episode. Yes, it will. <laughs> yes. So we are not even at the Tyrannosaurus Rex mm. cars. My favorite part of the movie. Yeah. So I'm going to actually stop here with Jurassic Park. And we're going to pick up next week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> with... Part two of Jurassic Park because it's a damn good movie. And obviously we all love it and thought it was a great movie. So with that being said, real quick, before we sign off, who would monster be in the movie? As much. No, no, I'm asking danger. I'm asking danger. It's his show. He's sorry. Okay. Okay. Character, not a pile of shit. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, uh, I'll give you Tim because you're, uh, not impressed. Oh, we gave you Tim. Oh, no, no. I'll give you. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll stick with Tim. All right. Who would you give me? Remember the uh, the dinosaur handler that died at the beginning? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Loving it. 
All right. And so since we're on it, who would you give me? Ooh, Danger, I'll let you. I'm, I'm sorry. Monster, I'll let you take this one. Ellie Sadler. Because you got oh. great legs. I'll take it. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Okay. Well, well uh, thank, you. thank you. Thank this, you. This has all been fun and games, but serious question, really, before we sign off. Where did dinosaurs go to shop? Uh, the, the dino store. Ow. Ah. I'm sorry. That was dumb. That was dumb. Here, here, Here's a better one. What do you get if you cross a dinosaur with a pig? I don't know. What? Jurassic pork. Ah. Ah, yes. You know, I was kind of avoiding Jurassic pork, the adult movie, just for that reference. I want you to know that. All right. All right. I'm all right. sorry. I'll quit joking around. But hey, what do you call a dinosaur car accident? Tyrannosaurus Rex. You son of a bitch. The the boy child told me that. <laughs> the 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 eleven year old told me that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So I don't have anything dinosaur themed to uh, to round out this episode. But have I told you guys that I used to work in a keyboard factory? I would go out with my coworkers to the space bar after work. It was really hard to escape, but I got fired for not putting in enough shifts. And after that, I couldn't enter. But after I got fired, I went to a bookstore and I saw a book that said it was called How to Solve 50% of Your Problems. So I bought two. So not Uh to ruin the illusion, I know this is an auditory medium. My headphones became unplugged about halfway through that joke, and I'm still 100% pissed off. (laughs) So good job. You know, I, uh, I just I aim to create emotion. So, all right. Sarge, do you want to dad us out? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, see, see, that's the feeling that we get after hearing dad jokes. You're not supposed to go into it with it. <laughs> what do you call a dinosaur after they break up with their ex way with their girlfriend? A Tyrannosaurus X. Ah. Uh. Oh, here's one. Oh, here's one. Here's one. Oh, this one might should be good. What do, you, what do you get if you cross a T-Rex with explosives? I don't know. What? Dynamite. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. I hope that hurts. I hope that hurts all your heads. It does. It does hurt. It, it hurts on a level that I haven't been hurt in a long time. It's almost emotional. So good. I hope I caused you some emotional damage. Well, you did. Emotional damage. Okay. On that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this actually be the first time we've had a ending to a two part episode. Hey, yay, go us. We're doing things. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for the rest of Jurassic Park. (laughs) Later. Bye. Long farewell, I'll meet us in a year. It's over. Done. Done.